and welcome to the Age Stage, a program that looks at issues and matters affecting older Australians, made possible by the Village Baxter, the Village Gang, and also Encore Living for that rural alternative. I'm Brendan Telfer, and joining me today in our special location is Paula Dunn. Paula, welcome. Good morning. Thank you. Good morning. Um, a special program today, as we said, we welcome our usual host, Peter Nilsson from the Village Glen. Good morning. Um, and also our special host of the morning today is Stuart Shaw from Village Baxter. Hi, Brendan. Hi, Paula. How are you? Hi. Stuart, a very special day because with us, and very importantly, is our Federal Minister for Aged Care. And it's great to be with you. It's, um, it's been a good morning having some of the conversations we've had around ageing and some of the glorious parts of what we've got to think about in a much more positive way than we sometimes do. Ken, this is a very hands-on approach that we hear that is part of your portfolio. You like coming out, you like talking to the industry and the main players in it. Is this part of the feedback process as you try and refine your legislation? It's, it's a combination of probably a couple of things. One is Change really can't happen unless you hear from the people who live and have a hands-on approach at the community level. Certainly I can take the advice of my peaks and the advisory structures that I have, but as I said to them one time, I admire all of you for what you've done. Your qualifications are outstanding having read your CVs. But I want you to take the focus that you occupy a bed in aged care and how would you make a decision if you were lying in that bed, would it be different to what we sometimes theorise about as opposed to the reality of living the experience? Interesting. You visit us quite regularly down here on the Mornington Peninsula. Obviously, I would say that the gentlemen to your right uh, obviously do have quite a lot to say and can get involved in that conversation quite regularly. That, that's in a positive way, I hope, Brandon. It's a very, <laughs> always <laughs> positive. You know, Stuart, it's always very, very positive. But, I mean, obviously, they're, they're, they're big players down here on the Mornington Peninsula particularly, but obviously you must respect their opinions or their input. So I respect theirs, plus I respect those who I've met with this morning because in our discussions we ranged over a number of issues. And what's great is the feedback that you get... Uh, that brings a different perspective because how we view life is how we see, see it through the lens of our eyes and the experience we have in each site or each community. And these help, help to inform me of variations and nuances that exist across our nation because I equally will be in Broome on Friday. Uh, mm. Whilst I focus on youth suicide there, I'll still be having discussions around ageing within remote and isolated communities. So. It's a great way of building the knowledge, but building a network of people who hear from you as well about what your vision as a minister is for ageing Australians. Can we look, can we look Minister, at the bigger <coughs> picture? Ageing population, retirement age, diminishing tax dollar. How do you go about preserving that dollar for this particular portfolio that you have responsibility for? Is it a tough battle? Let me change it to this way of thinking. I want us to think, as a nation, that we live from zero to 100 and that our journey in life through to 100 years of age plus is about only needing services and intervention in the health system or in aged care when we become frail and need support. But the rest of the time, I want to see older Australians being healthy, agile, living at home longer, where they're in control of their life. Uh, 
then we can think about how we apply the dollars where the need is greatest. So I think sometimes we put people prematurely into aged care and we allow them to waste away when they've got, still got so much to offer. And there's a model in Perth uh, that I'm impressed with where people going into residential care are in cluster housing. Mm. They do all the gardening, they do the cleaning, they do the cooking. And so they're active and they're participants and they're agile. That's what we should be about, mm. living to 100. Mm. Yeah, it's your home. And if you can get care in your home, no matter where you call home, that's surely the goal that all of us would want. So you have your choice to where you want to make home home. But Peter, cluster modelling is something that's dear to your heart as well. Well, it is. In, in, the, in our space, the retirement living space, we've been a cluster model from day one. And you've visited us, Brendan, and you, you can see what we're talking about and how that works. In essence, in our case, the cl your cluster where you live in the village, Glen, is your village within the village. And, and your support network are your neighbours, up to 20 houses in the same little cluster. Which is along the lines of what Ken was just saying with the Perth example, where, where the, the residents in their cluster, in their aged care facility, the, the support network is not just the staff, but the their colleague residents as well. So Ken, just mm -hmm. moving the conversation then into this new retirement sense or this longer life or active life, is that a difficult conversation that you're having? Are people easily convinced by it? Are we grasping that opportunity? I think we are. I think we underestimate the way in which people will have conversations on this issue. There's a couple of things we often don't talk about. We don't talk about getting old and what we will need for the future because it's fine when you're young, we're immortal. We can do anything and party or whatever. But as we sort of move on in years, we don't see ourselves as ageing because our minds remain still active. It's only the body that slows. But the mindset that Australia has about ageing seems to be that people get to 60 and they're old, when in fact they're not. They're still very young at heart, very young at thinking. And we should be saying to people, don't retire at 60. Why don't you enjoy life, even if it's a flexible working place? Because if you retire at 60, what are you going to do for the next 40 years of mm. your life? If you're a guy, I know your wife is going to be sending you out somewhere so you get out from under her feet. And that's why we have men who go to men's sheds, so that they can go and reoccupy not only their conversations, their social network and having their thinking challenged. Yeah, it's having a purpose, isn't it? Yeah, you know, it a, a reason to get up in the morning. Yeah. Are they actively engaged in the workforce and how are we going to provision for a working place for these older Australians going ahead? Well, if we just take Bunnings as the most simple that all of us see, we've got older Australians, older men and women working alongside young people, teaching each other, learning from each other and imparting skills in my own electorate. I've got some small businesses particularly pool companies that have engaged older men. And one of them, when I said, how's he going? They said, have you ever seen the movie The Intern? And I said, yeah, I loved it. And he said, mm. it is exactly The Intern. And he said, we have learnt so much and he's taught us so much. So our mindset's got to shift. Yeah. Just adding to what I want us to think about, I want us to think about giving people, when they're thinking of retirement, a gap year, take leave without pay for 12 months, go and do the travel bug around Australia. Go and caravan and play the golf twice or three times a week. At the end of 12 months, come back and then think about retiring. Mm. I think you would have a different mindset 
I think you'd get the bug out of your system and you'd want to continue to contribute because all of us have still got so much more to offer. That's a great idea. Ken, this is very creative thinking in your portfolio. Where does it come from? Where, what drives you to, to have this sort of vision? I just see, it's quite radical, really, isn't it? Well, it is in one sense, but I just see it a waste of talent, yeah. a waste of experience, a waste of corporate and collective knowledge, a waste of street credentialing. When I think some of the older men in my life when I was young who taught me so much, and I look at a farmer on a farming property in country towns, they don't suddenly hit 60 and say, I'm retiring. Mm. They continue to work the farm, they contribute to the community, they volunteer, but they're out there on the harvest even when they're 90. It's much like the community yeah. radio sector as well. I mean, there's, well, there, there are there's some genius people walking up the front stairs wanting to get involved in our local radio station. There's some genius people yeah. who are running some huge corporations, and it's a story that is common nationally mm. through the community broadcast sector around Australia. There's some amazing Australians making an amazing contribution to a very interesting and a very creative field. And I get your point immediately. But, but it's not the, the problem that your blue-collar sector and your white-collar sector. I mean, we're not all pen pushers, mm -hmm. and I'm an unashamed pen pusher. Mm -hmm. So it would be fairly easy for me to continue working into my later years. But if I'm a welder or if I'm a machinist, you know, my eyesight's going, my hands are not as good, what happens to those people? You know, they need to find another another reason to get up each mm, morning. Yeah, that's true. And it's how you facilitate people who have done it, you know, they've worked hard manual work all their lives. Okay, what can they transition to? Well, see, that's where we've got to become creative. I hear, I had a baker in my electorate say to me that they found it very challenging finding a young person who is prepared to get up at two o'clock, mm -hmm. go into the bakery and um, make the bread for the day. What happens if we thought, I know a Bricky's labourer who can no longer do that type of job, but they would be great at learning to become a baker's assistant, but I'll pay them. And you know they're going to be reliable because they've been on the building site day in, day out, as earning their income through hard yards. So I think we've got to think creatively. And even in aged care, if we think of the total workforce that we have in a residential aged care, from a gardener through to hospitality through to administration, I'm certain if I was running those, I would find a place for older Australians who would value add to the way in which we provided to the needs of people within that facility. So we've got to think outside the square and be prepared to be different. This is the age stage on RWPFM. We're speaking with the Minister for Aged Care, Ken White, who's um, down here visiting us at uh, the Village Baxter today. Um, Ken, just wondering about the immigration experience as well. Are they throwing a different dynamic into all this? Well, with this two elements. One is Australia has relied heavily over a period of time on immigrants coming here and forming the basis of the skilled workforce that we need. And we still use 457 visas in the past. But there's also, in ageing, an ageing population that helped build uh, the Hydro Snowy River Scheme, helped build the Transline. They're now at a point where they're going into aged care, but dementia is resulted in them falling back into talking mother tongue -o. Great to have you company. This is the Age Stage, a special edition today as we come to you from our generous hosts at the Village Baxter, the Village Glen as well as well represent. Peter Nelson is here, so is Stuart Shaw. And we're delighted to be welcoming to the microphone today 
Our special guest today is Ken Wyatt, who's the Federal Minister for Aged Care. Ken, we were talking about some overseas models and your expectation and hope that we as Australians will stay longer within our own homes and the community will step up. Um, to help us legislatively, um, My Aged Care has been introduced by the government. Um, this is basically the portal in which we can access funds, resources. Um, is it working? Does it need to be refined? Where are we going with My Aged Care? Because in this environment, in this program, we hear a little bit of pushback from people that are experiencing some issues with it. My Aged Care is two years old. It provides an entry portal that is being effective for its age. But we also know there are glitches, and we're working on those glitches. And uh, within the fortnight, I'm going to be sitting with the department going through every facet of uh, the portal. I want to look at where it is that we're having the challenges and look at the way in which we will improve it. Because as I've been out and around, people right across the nation, from the top end of Australia to the southern points of Australia, have said, look, the concept is great, but let me tell you, I'm having difficulties uh, reconciling or finding a person who can give me the answer or give me the total quantum of information that I want and I'm not getting it. So we, we take all those points on board and uh, we work them through. Are we going to completely review this process? I know that uh, you've had discussions here with Peter and also with Stuart. You've had in, invited their input into this discussion as well. Is it ongoing? Is it a, a flexible review process? It's ongoing, and, and it is flexible in that when uh, an aged care provider raises specific issues with this, we go back and have a look at why that didn't work. Now, sometimes it's an individual because we cannot make the assumption that everybody is computer literate because we grew up in a generation where we didn't have computers and if you saw a computer, it took up a whole room. Um, and certainly that's what I recall of my first encounter. Now we have uh, very portable uh, iPads that will give us access to incredible information opportunities. And I want my age care to be fairly straightforward so it's not challenging but it gives people the opportunity of accessing information that they need in real time and in a real way. And if it means we've got to make some of the iconic elements of it slightly different for people with low levels of literacy, then I want to look at that. Yeah, because we, we definitely need that support mechanism and if we're going to be staying in our houses longer and looking after ourselves and taking individual responsibility, mm. then knowing that that works and works well, it's the, the type of support that we would expect and we would hope to be getting. Brendan King had an interesting perspective on how he's going to be taken through the, the portal that uh, my recollection, uh, Ken, was that you, you wanted to be um, hard of sight and not that literate. Okay, what am I going to do next? And just work through page by page. Is that still your intention? Uh, yeah, that's still my intention because I really want to understand where our glitches are. I used to be a primary school teacher, so in that mode of thinking you know what the challenges are for people who struggle with English or with concepts. So I might say to you, look, I want you to think of the colour red that I've got in my hand and you think of a colour red and then I show you a brilliant, bright, shining red. It's nothing like yours, but the word is the same word, but we have a different hue on it. And what I want to look at is the hues that people would have when they see sets of words. 
like you think of restorative care. Now, any of us working in aged care knows what that means. But if you're outside of restorative care, what, what do you mean by restorative care? So it's, it's simple things such as the use of language is absolutely mm. critical. And, and I think educating families of older citizens is really important because they need to be educated to know what their, you know, their loved one is about to encounter and, and go into and, and, and have more knowledge about that. Well, you've just come through that process. Yeah, I have, yeah. So, so your, your experience with... Yes, yeah, so my experience was my father uh, was very active right up until about 91, uh, worked uh, as a carpet layer even into his 80s, was self-employed for a long time. Yep, no, no problem with his knees. And then he had a stroke. And so he couldn't, he had a stroke, he was in uh, rehabilitation and I was handed a, you know, folder of papers to say he can't go home, you need to find him somewhere. That was it, that was, and it was horrendous to, to have to go through and we'd never had the discussion, I was his power of attorney medically and financially, but we had no idea um, where to go, there was no, no instructions whatsoever, I was, I was absolutely astounded. And that's a challenge that a lot of people face because all of a sudden you've got to make a decision to put mum or dad into mm. aged care and you really don't know the first step. Exactly. We've really got to have some discussions way before that when you say, mm. mum, when the time comes, what do you want me to do? Or dad, what do you want me to do? And how have you got somewhere in mind that you want to go to because we'll help do that. Mm. But are there any other things you want me to think about like power of attorney? Or even uh, when you get to a stage of that if your health becomes bad, what decision do you want me to make? Do you want me to allow you a natural process or do you want to be yes. on life support? Because mm. we never think of having those discussions. No, we don't. We don't. And we spoke about that, didn't we, Stuart, last yeah. week? And it, once again, in my own personal circumstances, I was asked by the doctor, do you want your father resuscitated? Well, these are conversations which should oh, be occurring absolutely. with families, yeah. yes. you know, whilst sitting around the, the table over a meal mm. and just engaging with each other to understand what the future holds. Yes. And that's certainly been part of the, the message we've been trying to get out through our broadcast. Indeed. Yes. And this, this, this that is the, the aim motive. of our program. This is the yes. total motive and this yep. is why you two gentlemen came to us in the first place and said we've got to have this discussion mm. because there is a tsunami coming in terms of this mm. um, knowledge and information. And, and no one... You know, there's no it's, it's broader correct. engagement yeah. in the community as to how these, yeah. how right. this can be taught, spoken so about. And who can you go to? Yeah. You know, so I'd like to see a campaign. Not on, you know, we see lavish campaigns about lifestyle villages and where we can live as we get older and everything. But what about a campaign for families as your loved ones are ageing? You know, what yeah. you need to know. And what are the conversations? Yeah. Exactly. And these are the yeah. conversations, Ken, that we're getting involved in in the age stage. And that's why we're very proud of, of, of the contribution of these two gentlemen in particular and also Tom and opening the conversation up for the general public because we do think that we should be having it. Now can I acknowledge that that's an important process that you're taking your community through but mm. it's a pity it's not uniform across the nation. Mm, because exactly. My wife had the same challenge as you mm -hmm. uh, where she was given a set of papers to look at and her mum's not in aged care yet but she needed that first stage. When I got home from being in Canberra my wife just smiled at me but the papers on the table and said, you're the Minister for Aged Care, can you interpret what this wonderful. is saying, can you do something? So I did have a look at them and I do know that we've got to uh, yes. turn some of our 
speakies into plain language. Exactly. Incomplete the 152 <laughs> question um, as a test. Because you have to remember, it's a really emotional process that your wife, as I did, is going through. You know, like this, you're looking at the end of this amazing person's life and, what, and you're responsible. And you know, there was the hard part about that. And I made the point in, when I was talking with the group before, is there are two vulnerable points in our lives, and that is the dawning years of our life and then the twilight years. Exactly. And they are both emotional. We have the emotion of celebrating the birth of a child and nurturing for the period until they become independent. Mm. Then we take an independent person and nurture them as we watch them become frailer and frailer yes. until that final day comes. And they're both very challenging elements on our emotions. Yes. And, and you can also have a duty of care, as does the government, in making sure that you can regulate this particular sector as well. So I'm just wondering what the stance is when you hear stories of Avio and so on and the regulation of this particular sector, because if we're to have confidence in it, we must see that good and justice is being done. Are, are you happy with that conversation? Well, the retirement sector is... And retirement villages reside under state and territory legislation. But when that issue arose, I met with leaders from the sector who engaged in conversations about the Four Corners program. Uh, they made some observations themselves. But to their credit, as a sector, they've come together and they've developed an eight-point plan, which they put to both Michael McCormick and I. And the reason we, Michael McCormick was involved because he's responsible for the ACCC and engages with his counterparts who have similar responsibilities within states and territories. Government shouldn't over-regulate or over-legislate. What we should do is make sure that the choices people make are fair and reasonable choices and that they're protected within those fair and reasonable arrangements. And most people I've talked to since that program in retirement villages say, I've made the choice. All I want you to do is to make sure that it is uniform and there is consistency and that we understand it. And I've only had a handful that have really uh, had a go at me for not legislating nationally. And, and, and why not legislate nationally? Because sometimes legislation becomes an impediment that increases uh, red tape but also increases cost because when you legislate, you're going to have a set of compliance requirements and a sector will have to meet those but we'll then have to pay, in some instances, fees that are associated with those. Now, if the sector responds to the Four Corners program and is prepared to look at harmonised uh, legislative approaches by a federation of Australian states and territories and the Commonwealth without Commonwealth legislation, but they also uh, give a commitment to having simpler contracts or a uniform uh, set of contracts across a set of contract across the nation, then we've got to give them that opportunity to do that and demonstrate that they're able to before governments consider legislation. This is the age stage, a special edition today as we come to you from our generous hosts at the Village Baxter, the Village Glen as well, is well represented. Peter Nelson is here, so is Stuart Shaw. I think from an operator's perspective, when you get punitive legislation which is very prescribed, there's no doubt it stifles innovation. And the world, we're all, all on a constant improvement, continuous improvement path in all our businesses. 
that's the only certainty in life, isn't it? It's change, mm. and things are changing all the time. If you have legislation that's prescribed to a particular set of settings on a particular day, in five years' time those settings have changed and good operators will innovate and and capture the market as it, as the market is taking it, whereas when you legislate, my observation is that can stifle that approach. Just, just to tease out Peter's comment, if you look at what's happened in um, residential aged care over the last decade, where there used to be a variety of different styles of accommodation and services, now we all build um, single rooms en suite, all about 18 squares plus the en suite of about four squares, and you know it's an homogenised product. No matter where you go, you know Peter might have um, better furnishings than we provide. But I'll say that unashamedly. Um, but you know it, it, the, the actual building fabric is the same. Not everybody lives in the same type of house. We don't all have, uh, Brendan, as a station manager, you know, the six-bedroom, two-storey mansion uh, <laughs> down at uh, Portsea overlooking the headlands. Come and join me in the caravan. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but we all live in different styles of accommodation and that creativity is largely being taken out of a sector. And so if legislation was to come that went along with similar lines for retirement villages, they'd be very dull places. And so yeah, you're right, they're, you're right, Stuart. They're not dull places, and you have a minister that's showing great energy and creativity. And, Minister, I'm just wondering, as we begin to wrap things up here today, um, if we look at the Australian model, how are we compared to, say, our neighbours in Asia, or what is the West, what are the Western Europeans or the North Americans doing in this sector? Are we a model? Are we, or are we aspirational to something that maybe the Swedes are doing or the Scandinavians? Look, I think based on the G20 Health Ministers Forum, when I met with a number of ministers from the top 20 countries in the world, all of them looked to Australia for its aged care sector. They believe that we've got an exemplary range of options for people to choose from from residential aged care through to uh, our model now of encouraging people to live at home longer through to retirement villages including caravan parks. Uh, the consideration is is that we have got an outstanding system that they like and look to. Now the old Chogham which was all the Commonwealth uh, government um, countries, have, uh, sorry Commonwealth countries have uh, established a international a peak body now that is focusing on ageing populations within Commonwealth countries and all of them have said that Australia has by far the world's leading aged care sector across all of those facets and there's an international uh, conference early next year and Australia has been asked to provide a keynote address at that in terms of what we're doing the quality of what we're delivering, but also the way in which we look after people fairly uniformly across our nation when you think of its size and its geographic diversity. Can, can I support that, um, uh, Ken's comments? You know, no matter where we go in the world, Australia is certainly up there at the forefront. Whilst we might complain that this doesn't work and that doesn't work and something else doesn't work, that's a relative comment. You know, we, from my perspective, we are leading the world in many aspects of that. Mm. We know we can do better, which is what we want to strive for, 
with with making some of those comments and mm -hmm. and, and uh, we'll so we'll call them helpful suggestions, not complaints. Mm -hmm. But we, you know, we are the lucky country, and we we still take it for granted, and we actually don't pay enough credit to what occurs within Australia. And it's not until you go outside the country and you see, you know, just what services are being provided in other places, then you really really do appreciate what we have at home. Peter, would you have a similar experience? Yeah, I do, in indeed. I mean, my brother lives in the US, he lives in New Orleans, and because my parents live in, in our aged care facility and used to live in the village, Brian comes and goes to, and he loves what he sees in Australia. In his community in New Orleans, um, he says, I mean, in America, if you've got money, you're okay. If you haven't, mm. you are in serious trouble, particularly the older people. And he said it's awful. Mm. Uh, that he and his partner nursed his partner's mother um, through a, through aged care, and and she died at home because they, they they couldn't afford. They could not afford for her to go into care. Mm. So she had dementia, and they had her for five years at home. Goodness, um, awful, and yeah. he, and 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 there's no help anywhere. It's, if you haven't got the funds, it's all over. There's no safety net to speak yeah. of. And then that's the great thing about Australia, I think, is, is our, I suppose, our rationale is in all sorts of businesses, there's safety nets. Mm. Aids care, there's safety nets. So there are people looking for those of us who are less fortunate and it's funded by the public purse. Mm. And well, Stuart, you claim mm. here mm. at the um, Baxter Village that people of all economic um, diversities can afford, to, can afford to, to, to live here. Yeah. It, yeah, it doesn't matter. We, we will tailor a plan to suit you. Mm. What mm. I was going to say, one of the really creative things that I saw many years ago was in Spain, actually in Barcelona, where we were driven up to, on a dirt road, up to a really remote little community. And that little community was actually funded to keep people living within the community by the mm. government as, as one of the much more creative ways of looking at Okay, how can you deliver uh, rural and remote services mm, mm. Uh, and keep people in there? And I, and I thought that was sensational. The other thing that appealed to me on, on that same journey was, I think it was, oh, I forget the country, but any expenditure made on caring for older people was tax deductible. And I equally thought that was a really creative way to expand the, the government coffers by, by, you know, if you can get a tax deduction for, for, an, for looking after an older person, that, that would take some of the pressure off the tax dollar. And I thought that, would, that was equally interesting as direct taxation to, to indirect taxation. So di different countries, so when you travel overseas, you do see some different approaches. And, and they're two that I've really liked over the journey as, as something that was really outside the box. And let me also say in Australia we've got some country towns across this great nation of ours where they're encouraging older people living in capital cities to come and live in their country town and they're giving peppercorn rental arrangements to people for houses that were vacant that their local government have done up because by having those people come and live in their community that they're developing their economic capacity because people are spending locally and it's helping local businesses. Mm. Ken Wyatt, um, Minister for Aged Care, thank you very much indeed for your time today. We didn't really touch on your other portfolio, which of course is Indigenous Health. And I'm just wondering um, whether there's a lesson that we should be looking 
toward our, our Aboriginal people about aged care and how they nurture and, and their sense of family in older years? Well, the sense of elders within a community is they're the wisdom givers, they're the people who impart knowledge, they are the translators of the culture. And so there's a level of respect that I don't see as commonplace through the rest of Australia. But equally, there are some who live in some appalling circumstances because of the remoteness of their community and the lack of access to services. But in others, I just see a community taking care of them. Um, it doesn't matter where they uh, live within the town or within the community. There's always somebody asking about them, going and checking on them, making sure they're okay. And that's a lesson we could apply right across our country. It would make an incredible difference. It would make an incredible difference, and thank you very much indeed for making a difference to us down here on the Mornington Peninsula today. Ken White, Minister for Aged Care, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, Paula Dunn, thank you very much indeed. Thank you, Brendan. Um, Peter Nilsson, thank you very much Brendan, indeed. And uh, once again, Stuart, thank you for being a very gracious host and inviting us over here to your fabulous facility. We thank you very much indeed. Grateful that you came, and we'll see you next week. Yes. And Minister, <laughs> Minister <laughs> Safe you. Travels, and thank you very much indeed for your time. That's been great thank being you. here with all of you, and it's been a great conversation. Thank you.